of money tend to have more access to resources to be able to use in their defense versus people that don't have money. So you see a lot of, you know, lower in, and that's really a class issue and, and race does come into play. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Good morning and welcome to Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Good morning. Morning. Happy Sunday. Hold on, Ed. Hold on, Ed. We we got an intro for you before you just put on the radio voice. Um, Okay, guys. So if you're watching us via Facebook Live, shout out to you guys. Of course, you know, this is Let Your Voice Be Heard where we talk politics, social issues, Farm policy, pop culture, a lot of Beyonce and a lot of Trump, reluctantly, but we still do that here every Sunday right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. My name is Selena Hill, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Miss Selena Hill. And that might be temporary, as I told you guys and Jackie last week. I'm really thinking about dropping the Miss part, even though it's like such a signature part of like my brand, like, literally people always refer to me as Miss Hill. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I might just drop it. So I don't know. I, sometimes I think when you got a good thing, you got to stick with it. Think but so? I don't know. Why are you dropping it? You meet somebody? <laughs> Is something you ain't telling us? No, that's not the reason, Alyssa. I'm not changing the MS to MRS, FYI. All right, good. <laughs> I, I mean, look, uh, sometimes things just happen and uh, life comes at you fast. And then I just, you know, I miss two shows and then you get married or something. Right, yeah, like, like Cardi B and Offset, who have apparently been married since September. So, um, But anyways, that's a probably a good time for me to tell you who I am. Uh, I'm Alyssa Fuchs. I am your political and legal correspondent. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Alyssa Fuchs. That's I-L-Y-S-S-A-F-U-C-H-S. Not a K, um, just in case you were wondering. Also on Twitter, at Alyssa Fuchs. On Instagram, Alyssa.Fuchs. Uh, or you can leave a comment on the Politically Preposterous Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash politically preposterous. And, of course, you can always leave a comment on our live stream um, where we are broadcasting this show, facebook.com slash let your voice be heard. Um, and if for some reason that stops working, click over to the Ustream link, which you can also find uh, listed on our Facebook page on Let Your Voice Be Heard Radio Facebook. Uh, so that is yes. a lot of different ways in which you can find us. And we have a special guest with us in studio today. So I'm going to pass the mic along to him so yes. that he can tell us who he is. Well, I will tell everyone. He oh, Selena, <laughs> could jump in right here. So we have Ed Stokes. Um, he is a born and raised New Yorker. He has been producing media and content in New York City for the past decade for a variety of platforms, including the Left Forum and MSG Radio. In his free time, he enjoys reading and get this, Alyssa, Popeyes. I know you two are both like have like affinities for Popeyes. Popeyes. Not me. Please. Uh, my Thank favorite one is this one right already. here. On, on, on 135. On one, That's a good on one. one. Um, it yeah. is a good one. Every time yeah. I go there, it's like I get um, this. Uh, there's like always some kind of show going on. Um, so I like it because it's like there's um, there's like some guy comes in playing music right. or um, sometimes there's a fight. You, you sometimes the, there's a drug deal. Yeah. You know, you never know you what get you're going to get. the entertainment value it's and like, the nutritional value. It's very good. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Popeyes. I hear it's different in Louisiana and it's better. 
And every time I go to Louisiana, I, I eat like a ton of fried chicken. I never get Popeyes because I'm like, why am I going to get Popeyes? I could get that up where I'm from. But everybody keeps telling me experience. that I got to eat Popeyes in New Orleans. So I, next I was time. I was down there a couple of years ago, and I went through the same thing. I said, why eat eat exactly. this while you're here? But you have to. It's the staple. And uh, then I found out through some some background research that uh, in fact that uh, Popeyes is owned by a Chinese company. Yeah. Wow, Not really? surprised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. China's yeah, yeah. taking over. <laughs> Look at that. Everything is made in China, so including the oh my God. Our beloved Popeyes. Next thing you know, Selena's going to yell, make America great again <laughs> into the mic. <laughs> no, guys. No, I'm sorry for that. But, yeah, um, impeach but, uh, Trump. Yeah. Make yes. America great again. Yeah, impeach Trump. Um, welcome to the show. Yeah. I'd like thank you. Thank you. Thank you, uh, you. For, for extending an invitation to me. Um, we're in the voice of Harlem. So, yes, and he came yeah. all the way from Brooklyn. I did, I did come from Flat Brooklyn, Bush. but uh, it was worth it. Yeah, absolutely. And FYI, Ed and I actually work together. At, full disclosure. Yeah, yes. full disclosure at Black and Surprise. So yep. glad you made it here, guys. So yeah, we have a great show lined up. Um, we're going to be talking about all the defeats that we've taken on the left this week. I mean, we had Justice Anthony Kennedy who announced his retirement, and we'll talk about that. Um, on the other hand, we also had a lot of good things that happened. Like during the primary results, you know, you want to hear my favorite thing this week. Yeah. And I, I know we're going to talk more news when we get into the nose roundup. But my favorite thing this week is Maxine Waters saying, if you're going to shoot, you better shoot straight because right. there's nothing like a wounded animal. Right. <laughs> yes. Right. Right. OK. So now I remember what I was about to say. The Muslim ban. Guys. So the Supreme Court actually ruled in favor of Trump's Muslim ban. So duh, we need to talk about that. And then unions took a major blow as well this week. So, yeah. A lot of defeats on the left. But then again, we had um, the primary election, which actually was very, very surprising. Uh, And we're going to talk about what that actually means for the Democratic Party and for us as left leaning voters. Like I know a lot of us have left the party. Ed being one of those people who is a registered independent and, you know, doesn't really feel too attached to the party. But maybe maybe this is a shift. Like we saw the win of Alexandria um Ascasio Ocasio Cortez. And it's like a lot of people are feeling hopeful again. So, and you know, it's not just her. There was there are a lot of progressive candidates who are uh, black and brown, who are queer, who are women. Like a lot of a lot of things are going on in the national landscape when it comes to progressive politics. So it might be uh, it might be some hope there for us. So hopefully we can get Ed to register Democrat again. <laughs> That's probably not going to happen. <laughs> not but gonna I, happen. I'll entertain the uh, the conversation. I mean, we can get more into this when we talk about the conversation. But the biggest thing for me is like in at least in New York, we don't have open primaries. So if you're right. not registered as a Democrat, then you don't have a say in choosing who the person is in the primary and that means that you could end up with an establishment candidate even though somebody like you know Ocasio-Cortez is running because somebody like you is not registered to be able to vote for her so I'm just putting that out there right absolutely Um, anyways I think we're going to take a quick break but when we come back we have a lot of really good stuff coming at you we'll talk about all this depressing news (laughs) and some of the more positive things that have happened this week absolutely make sure you give us a call at 212-650-6903 if you have a comment or tweet us at beheard underscore radio Um, And on that note, I'm going to throw it back to Selena, who's going to take us out. Absolutely. So, again, guys, this is Let Your Voice Be Heard. Keep those comments coming on Facebook. We appreciate you guys. And don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. And, of course, we want you to let your voices be heard. So that means you should call us up at 212-650-6903. You should also tweet us at Be Heard underscore radio. And keep those comments flowing at Facebook.com slash Let Your Voice Be Heard. This is tight. You guys have a little... Thing going we got it going on today. <laughs> seriously, we, uh, we got the swirl thing going on. Right? No, seriously, that's that's all it is. So yeah, so shout out to like Jackie and Stanley. Half of our regular crew are not here. Um, they're watching us via Facebook apparently. Tight, tight. Thanks, so, losers. Um, we really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, but you know we have Ed Stokes who is filling in for both Jackie and Stanley. Those are big shoes. It seems that I'm filling <laughs> yes. in. I'm, the Pretty t- big. I'm a temp- temporary voice. Temporary voice. No, but we but appreciate you. We Absolutely. appreciate you. So shout out to you, Ed. Um, again, you're a democratic socialist, and again, you work in media, and we appreciate you having Absolutely. having you here. Let's um, jump into it. Absolutely. So as we mentioned right before we went on break. Justice Anthony Kennedy has announced he is retiring. I think that he's officially leaving like July 31st. And the reason why this is such a big deal is because he was that crucial swing vote on uh, the Supreme Court. So you have four justices who are uh, extremely conservative. And then you have four who uh, are more progressive and tend to lean left. And um, Anthony Kennedy... He was that vote who would, even though he's like Republican and conservative, he voted in favor of abortion rights and LGBTQ rights, um, you know, same sex marriage. So he was very critical because he didn't let his politics get into like making the right decision. And now he's like, yeah, generally, generally, generally speaking, you know, a lot of times when it came to those big votes, a lot of times he was clutch. And now he's leaving, and, you know, it's a lot to be said about that. Like, like Alyssa, I remember when that news broke, you, like, text us an emoji, like, heartbreak or something. Like, you were, like, very distraught. Well, you know, because here's the thing. It's like Justice Kennedy does occupy that metal, middle space, and Justice Kennedy, because of that, has been a bulwark, uh, bulwark against the repeal of Roe versus Wade and, you know, basically putting forth, the, he wrote the decision Oberfell versus Hodges, which is right. the case that legalized gay marriage. He was also the, you know, very influential um, in other decisions or making sure that Planned Parenthood versus Casey and Roe versus Wade wasn't overturned, which is sort of where I started. Um, and so, like, Obviously, he had bad decisions, too, on a lot of economic things and like antitrust matters and corporate matters. He would rule in favor of big corporations and sort of rule more in favor with like his Republican conservative roots. But when it came to social issues, he very much was uh, um, sort of fell more towards the left with the liberal justices. And now you have Justice Roberts, who is like a center-right justice who now is going to be occupying the middle. And what's even more scary than that is the idea that if Donald Trump wins re-election in 2020, he's probably going to get to appoint at least two, potentially three, so additional Supreme Court justices right. depending on who retires and or dies, hopefully not. Um, and that literally could mean that you have five super conservative justices to two liberal justices, Elena Kagan and Sonia Sotomayor, who are recent appointees. Um, mm-hmm. That changes the landscape not just for now but for like the next hundred years and so like uh, you know we can talk again more about this during the next segment but like this is why people have to go out and vote and sometimes it means you have to vote for the lesser of two evils and I get it it also means the Democrats have to put forth better candidates but we can't take this next elections for granted um, they did studies on the 2016 election showing that Republicans turned out to vote for Trump because of the Supreme Court whereas liberals did not 
Well, so, Ed, I, Ed, I want to get your take on Justice Kennedy and, and why this is so significant. Well, I, I think uh, to, to sort of piggyback on what some of Alyssa was saying, uh, sure, on the uh, on the national sort of the economic front, he got a lot of things wrong. But on the, the issues that matter on on an everyday level, as far as uh, women, reproductive rights and sort of. Uh, just social issues that we deem, uh, you know, that should be second nature. So things we shouldn't even really be having basic uh, conversations about. You know, he was a, he was a champion of those, and as as she also pointed out, he also uh, kept kept sort of this this fascist side of of the the right wing of the Supreme Court in check. Now, of course, with um, and I think this is very interesting because when Obama tried behind the scenes, and of course we're going to talk more about this, but. Uh, when he, you mentioned he was pushed into uh, Kennedy was pushed into retirement, Obama did the same thing behind the scenes and tried to get Ginsburg and a few others to step down for this same exact reason. It's so that you can shape the courts how you feel like they should be shaped for the next decade or two. So this this whole idea of pushing people to the side is more about as politics as the long game. And um, it's uh, at, at, at this point, it, it's 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 very dangerous that Trump has the option. Well, he may have the opportunity to get three of his guys or girls uh, on, on the uh, seat. Alyssa, earlier you mentioned that he was forced into retirement, and like Ed just said, is it like a force or are they just pushing well, people? You know, that's unclear right now. There's like still, this is like still news coming out. There was some news reported about how Anthony Kennedy's son apparently works for Deutsche Bank and like gave a very big loan to Donald Trump. And so there's a, like maybe some more, maybe it's just well, coincidence, but well, like it seems like something a little bit more nefarious is potentially going on. Well, I, I, w- I would say it's not like we're pulling this out of thin air. What you do is you stock the lower the lower courts with people who have been desk clerks for people like a uh, uh, Kennedy or Scalia or anything like that. So more or less, you keep their legacy preserved and you entice them into entitlement or uh, into retirement by saying, listen, we've stacked the lower courts with all of your uh, your minions, people who have come under your wing. So guess what? Your legacy is intact and you're going to be preserved for decades and generations to come. So this is how you get these people into retirement. It's like if Anthony believes Kennedy believes that, I don't know, I got a bridge in, in Brooklyn to sell you because I can't see his legacy staying intact with the people that Donald Trump's potentially going to appoint. Um, but speaking of Supreme Court cases, yes. um, and uh, you know, we had a bad one, two bad ones this week. One, you mentioned the Muslim ban case uh, which came down this week. They essentially ruled that because the law was quote unquote facially neutral and that it didn't specifically specifically single out Muslims and that there was non-Muslim countries such as North Korea included, um, that it was a legal exercise of the president's um, executive power. It may go down in history as a decision as bad as the Korematsu decision, which, interestingly enough, they actually overruled for the first time ever formally in the Muslim ban decision, which was sort of like a weird smack in the face. And then you also had the Janus case, which was decided this week. Right. Before we get to the Janus case. Well, I was just going to preview them both and then we could talk about them just because. Okay, uh, you know, I, I was going to say, uh, then you also had the Janus case decided this week where essentially they said that if you don't want to pay to be part of a union, a public ma- union, you don't have to, which potentially means that unions could see a lot of their membership decline. Anyways, discuss. <laughs> yeah. Okay, moderator. Uh, yeah. So no, I, I kind of wanted to scale it back Ed, to get your take yeah. on like just that the Muslim ban. Like, were you surprised at all that the Supreme Court uh, ruled in favor? I, I, I wasn't surprised. I think initially when it was first signed as a executive order, that was sort of just like the quick just to get that 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 uh that fan base give them something like you know they wanted blood they got it and it's sort of just like the roman days where it's just like you know these are gladiators you know thirsting for blood so i think trump went to appease that base i think that he knew in the long term it would be shot down uh by the courts because there was no legal standing for any of the uh the language that he had proposed but 
you gave you gave the time courts and again we we talk about stacking these courts in your favor uh you get the language right you get it lawyered up you give these judges something presentable it doesn't seem on its initial phase that it's it's not really about uh the muslim ban it's really about national interests in united states uh territorial uh, situations, so it's it's really about uh, establishing and, and maintaining this uh, American international and global dominance. You know, so it's just like, uh, for unfortunately, um, question several questions has to has to be asked. Cause a lot of these these uh, countries that are named in this, it's just like they're pulling them out of thin air. It's just like it's really outside of a economic. We may not agree with the governments that are in power, and I think a lot of that it's a, it might be a secondary conversation. But I think a lot of that stems. From this, also countries that we can't just, uh, you know, wand our empirical uh, hand over and be like, all right, this is you guys are going to play by America's rules. So uh, that's how these countries somehow ended up on this list. Um, it's not by uh, by chance. A lot of them are Muslim dominated. Um, I, I don't understand how Saudi Arabia, a country who is actually, you know, the world is convinced that they uh, were behind the terror attacks here. State sponsored terrorists. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, they get a. You know. Well, they get a pass because Donald Trump's friends live there and he gets a lot of money from the oil that's there. Um, yeah. But, you know, look, I, it, it was extremely disappointing. I, I thought for sure the court was going to strike this down based on religious animus. But essentially what they said was, oh, all those things Donald Trump said on the campaign trail, right. that was just talk for campaigning. And, you know, we're not going to take that into account as evidence because... Uh, you know, that's not like evidence on the record anywhere. Um, but right. No. And, and just to, to talk about the labors, just to um, just to, you know, switch gears a little bit, because we do need to talk about that, too. Like, I think what's most disheartening is like you have a lot of black um, workers who are protected by unions, like, you know, especially those who are disenfranchised. Like, this is a hard blow, because if we start and we, there's already been attacks on unions, don't get me wrong. Right. But like now that we're like actively defunding them, um, I'm really concerned on h- how unions are going to be able to survive in this political climate. Right. And, you know, people forget that unions are the reason why you have a weekend. Unions are the reason right. why you have a 40 hour work week. Unions are the reason why you get a lunch break. There's a lot of things um, that we get that even if you're not in a union because of unions. So, yeah, right. I mean, unions are really, really important. But I've heard on the flip side, people say, like, when, when unions were really working to get, like, weekends passed and, like, eight-hour workdays, that was, like, a century ago. How and why are they even still needed? And I wanted to throw that to Ed. Okay. Um, do we have we have time to take this? Yes, we do. Okay, cool. Uh, well, for okay, cool. Um so, yes, as, as you mentioned, unions are responsible for pretty much the living wage that we have, which I, I also try to get to people to stop saying the the, uh, the working wage and actually a living wage because it's like we actually, you know, there there's a difference. Um, unions, because of the idea of collective bargaining, this is why we're able to get your $37 an hour, depending on what trade union you're a part of. And um, for the last century and for as long as capitalists and these uh, corporate overlords have been owning and operating the facilities they've been trying to union bust. It's just like there's been union busting going on in this country, at least definitely over the last uh, 25 years. We saw a corporate takeover or a government takeover of uh, of, of GM down in Detroit. Uh, we've seen even this attack on public school unions and uh, the m- different municipalities, even in our own New York City across, uh, I think it was it last summer, we had Wisconsin teachers going on strike. Uh, and, and it goes on and on. But the, the idea is that uh, you sort of you sort of tell you sort of create this environment where it's just like people who don't have to who don't pay into the uh, 
into the fee. They sort of treat the unions like they give the old mafia says it's like, oh, you're paying for uh, for protection and you're paying for for longevity. But the truth is, is you need these things without these things. It's like you're pretty much a slave to whatever your industrial warlord or corporate overlord (laughs) says that you're getting. If you have to not a fan of corporatism, are you? If you have to compete with uh, if you have to compete with uh, with global prices and you can. If they're going to pay this Indian farmer a dollar and you have to compete with that, you have no union protection. It's just like your job is eventually going to get shipped overseas to save that company just even a dime. Absolutely. So like and I know we do have to switch gears before we go on break. I want to talk about the justice for junior movement. Um, this Bronx, the fatal Bronx stabbing and victim of a young man who like literally wanted to be a cop and was killed by gang members. And then, you know, if you watch the video, he was not helped. Afterward, it looked like the police dropped the ball. It looked like the people who were in a bodega and could have helped him, they dropped the ball. And now we have this young, like, 15-year-old who was dead. And, I mean, it's, it's just so disheartening. We haven't had time to really talk about it here. But I know that especially here in, you know, uptown in the Bronx, right. um, you know, we feel it because this is, like, home to us. Right. Really. No, I mean, look, I, I, I think it's terrible. Um, and... You know, I, I'm glad that people are coming out asking for justice. I know that a lot of people in the Bronx, like Cardi B and some of the Yankees, have donated some money. But I also, I, I know we have to go to break. I wanted to make light. We can't not forget about yesterday. There was a huge marches and Absolutely. huge rallies to yeah. end family separation. There was also a federal judge that ruled last week that parents and their kids must be reunited. Um, you know, you should definitely check out some of those pictures and videos that are coming in on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, all over from all the people that were out at the rallies yesterday. Yeah. I was out at a rally um I, I think like five hours after the beginning of the rally there were still people marching over the brooklyn bridge Absolutely. um and there was people out all over the country um there was a rally in white plains there was a rally uh, in dc there was yeah. a rally in chicago um and and literally everywhere you could think of people came out into the streets yesterday to protest the trump policy of family separation so on that note we have to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to be talking about the future of the democratic party stay right. with us Power thank you people and we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Shout out to all of our podcast listeners who are listening to this a day or two after we record it live. Nice. We appreciate you guys. We do. Absolutely. Um, and shout out to everyone who is watching via Facebook Live. Keep those comments coming, guys. We have a full segment. We were talking about the Democratic Party. I definitely want to know what you guys think. If you guys think that, you know, are you feeling hopeful? Like, would you vote? Would you go out to the midterm and vote Democrat, like, for the Democratic Party? Are you believing yeah. again, you know? We're in Harlem. This is the bedrock of a uh, Democratic establishment. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yes. Harlem politics are deep, yeah. deeply rooted. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like, you know, millennials, especially those of color, have been very disillusioned by the Democratic Party. So, you know, and we're going to talk about that here. Um, no, Ed being one of them. So we had another long, exhausting and draining week for us on the left. Um, as we mentioned during the news roundup, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of Trump's xenophobic Muslim ban. Unions took a major blow and then Justice Kennedy decided to retire. Now, these wins, which seemed like they were all wins for Trump country, um, they were disconcerting to say the least. But there was one particular highlight that kept us energized and kept us hopeful, at least for me. 
And that was the win of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in the New York primary. Now, she's a 28-year-old Latinx woman. She identifies as a Democratic Socialist, and she comes from a working-class background. She went to Brown University. She interned for Ted Kennedy, and then she worked as both an educator and an organizer. She's been um, endorsed by Move On, Black Lives Matter, People for Bernie. She um, And now on her platform, she campaigned for Medicaid for All, a $15 minimum wage, 100% renewable energy by 2035, which is in our lifetimes, uh, free tuition at public colleges. Abolishing ICE. Abolishing ICE and federal jobs for everyone who wanted them. So she had like a pretty intensely, right, intensely progressive, left-leaning, almost some would say radical platform. And she won on that. Whereas, I mean, I don't think it yeah. was that radical, to be I, honest. Yeah, to be, it's, it's, to be, some would say You that. know, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. Continue. Uh, we don't want to cut you off. Go no, ahead. no, it's all good. But, um, you know, it's a lot of excitement here, even, even with us in the room. Um, because, again, she's relatable. Like, she's a millennial. She's born in 89. Like, she speaks our language. Like, you, you know, like, even watching her campaign or watching some of her earlier interviews, like, she kind of gave you that Jenny from the block feel. Like, she can relate to me. She knows the struggle type I, I'll feel. say before we dig into this analysis i did like the instagram post she had uh, uh she posted uh the the soles of her sneakers from campaigning and you can see from pavement it's just like you know it was she holes. hit the ground yeah. running right Absolutely. she did a hardcore Absolutely. grassroots campaign and on top of that she only spent three hundred dollars three hundred thousand dollars for the majority of her campaign up until the tail end when uh, she experienced a surge in small donations her opponent incumbent joe um Crowley spent $3 million to secure his seat in the House, and he took money from lobbyists. So that's a 10 to 1 difference, right? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, he had the money, but she had the people. And at the end of the day, he just relied on the fact that the people he thought were going to come out to vote for him are the same people that have always come out and vote for him. What her campaign did that was different was they went out and they knocked on doors. They registered Democrats. They registered people to become Democrats that were never Democrats before. They turned out a whole new group of voters. Um, They specifically targeted a lot of young people that have moved into the district. They obviously targeted, um, you know, young black and Latino people um, as well. Um, They knocked on a ton more doors. Um, They got outspent, but Crowley got outworked is what it comes down to. Um, And she she told the people what she stood for, not just what she was going to stand against. This is the biggest problem the Democrats have. It's messaging. Yeah, we definitely need to pinpoint messaging. And on top of that, so Joe Crowley, he was actually a 14-year incumbent positioned to become the Speaker of the House if the House ever becomes Democrat. And that's basically why this election upset sent shockwaves through the entire nation. So her primary win makes her a shoe-in for Congress in New York's uh, 14th District. And it sent a critical message to the Democratic Party, which is, what we are going to discuss now. But before we do, I want to open up the discussion to the panel by asking for your initial reactions to Alexandria's win. Alyssa? Um, I was really happy. I literally, I I, I got home um, and... Like I was out at a bar having a few drinks and um, I like ran home to get the results as the as I knew the polls were closing at nine. Um, And I started on my way home, like checking the 
the New York Times primary right. page, and I see that she's like really far ahead. Of course, like I don't like to get ahead of myself because of what happened in 2016. Uh, because like when the polls first closed in November of 2016, Hillary was ahead also. Right. So, um, you know, as they say, don't count your chicks and chickens until they hatch. But at some point, I realized that she was just so far ahead that he was never going to catch her. Um, and then I like crazy started calling Stanley actually because and like he wasn't answering the phone, and I kept calling him and calling him, and he still wasn't picking up. But he was posting on Facebook and I was like Stanley call me because I was totally freaking out and then I just started texting everybody I knew like oh my god holy ish holy ish like I can't believe this is happening and then at some point AP called it and I just was like jumping up and down and this wasn't even my district um, right. but I was just like right. so excited because it was like the f- it, it just like it felt represents. like something yeah. it, like one it, what it was representing it felt like so good after all the losing that's been happening it just felt good to win I even said I texted somebody and said I felt like it was November of 2008. Oh, like, yeah. that's how good it felt. <laughs> it, it really did. Now, Ed, you've yes. met Alexandria yes, personally. Yeah, did you I think have. she had a shot of winning? Um, I, I did not. Uh, un- unfortunately, I, I I tend to feel that the uh, the Democratic establishment has bought and paid for for the next umpteen years. And I think... Uh, what uh what what this what this spoke to was that uh this Wall Street, we got one Wall Street Democrat off the books and you know and I thought through grassroots organizing I thought through the platforms that she that she ran on it really resonated with a the younger crowd she got a lot of these first time uh these first time eighteen year old voters to uh to see where she was coming from it's like you guys are gonna go to college and then what you're gonna accrue massive debt so to to curtail a lot of that I think she she ran on a, a on a populist platform. That is easily obtainable. Uh, I think that it's easily digestible to a lot of people who are who are fresh onto the uh, the political scene. I think for long term, uh, people who have been Democrat and voting for the establishment, they saw this as you guys have been doing close to nothing in Congress for the last umpteen years, and we want you guys out. Right. Yeah, and, and b- before we get too excited, we actually have a comment via Facebook Live. Alberto he points out something that you know makes a lot of sense. So he says we still have Pelosi and her crew of. Older cronies yapping about Trump instead of doing sort of doing nothing. By the way, she blocked me on Twitter for saying she does nothing. I kept telling her to do your job. And that's no to yap hate of everyone else. So, no, Alberto, good point. The Democratic Party is still run by Nancy Pelosi and a bunch of older Democratic folks that do a lot of talking. And according to Alberto... They don't do anything else. Right. No, I mean, look, this goes to the point that I was trying to make before, which is Democrats need to be telling people what they're going to do for them, not just how they're going to be against Trump. Now, uh, one thing to you, to your point, which is this is why you should be part of a party, because if Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez had run as a Democratic Socialist on the DSA line and not as a Democrat, then Joe Crowley would have won that primary. And then there might have been a three way general election that she would have lost. And so this is why I tell people all the time, don't leave the Democratic Party, change the Democratic Party in your image, make the Democratic Party into what you think it should be. And especially for young progressive um, millennials uh, and young progressive millennials of color or those that are queer, like the the Democratic Party can be what you want it to be. You don't have to leave the party. You can shape the party. Um, Ed, before I give you a chance to respond to that, because honestly, we're speaking directly to you. um, I just want to correct myself. The person that just to him. Well, 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 he could speak for all of those independents and Democratic. I want to correct myself. So the person who gave that comment, his name is Albert. Now, go ahead, Ed. What do you say to that? Um, I, I, I say yes. Um, I, I say, unfortunately, for, for far too long, we've been operating in this duopoly of Republican versus Democrat. 
And uh, I see a lot of their interests aligning being the same. I, I, again, there, there are factions now that we're seeing some of these Democratic Socialists of America. We're seeing uh, a lot more independent people who are, who are actually like independent and not beholden, again, to the Wall Street uh, oligarchs. But um, I, I think that we need to really create a, like a legit third party. And I do not I, I, I understand it. Um, it may not be feasible with the numbers. And uh, it may not be feasible due to just all the regulations, the rules and regulations that go with establishing a third party and getting all these votes. But it's just like if we continue to play by the rules of Republican or Democrat, our interests are I don't know if our interests will ever make it to 1600 Pennsylvania, if that is our. Well, uh, you I know, mean, true that goal. depends about, you know, whether or not this young progressive millennial movement takes over the Democratic Party. But I will say this. There's an impediment that most people don't think about. We will never have a third party system unless we repeal the 12th Amendment. The 12th Amendment basically says that we have a two party system. People don't realize that. Um, I've discussed this in terms of the election. I'll go over it really quickly. And then I know we have to move on to the next point, which is the 12th Amendment says that if a person running for president does not get 270 electoral college votes, then the House picks the president. So if you have three parties and each one of those presidential candidates picks up a few electoral college votes for a few states, that will create a situation where no candidate will ever get to 270. And so you'll always have the Congress picking the president, which is anti-democratic. So I always tell people before you advocate for us to have a third party system, you first have to be talking about repealing the 12th Amendment. Otherwise, it's never going to work. Um, right. But moving on. Yeah, <laughs> moving on to that. So, you, you know, that brings us to the next question was, is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's win a referendum on the Democratic Party? It, are young progressives speaking out and saying, you know what, we're going to start making changes from the inside out, Ed? Uh, I, I'll, I'll say I'll say yes. And I'll, I'll offer you a few other a uh, few other uh uh, just look at uh, other races that were happening in the city. In my own district, you had uh, Yvette Clark, who was a long-term Democrat. She retained her seat, but only by a thousand votes. Yeah. She had a, a, a young uh, Ugandan uh, young man who uh, who ran again a similar on on a pretty much a similar platform that uh, Miss Cortez won, and uh, she he got he got a lot of the uh, the Caribbean African uh, the Caribbean American votes. In Flatbush, he got a lot of uh, surprisingly enough, he got a lot of the young white college voters who have just who live in these neighborhoods because they're essentially facing the same issues of housing, the same issues of of uh, of guaranteed work. And so uh, I think, again, this is where we're all speaking to a a larger struggle, which is the the struggle to uh, 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 maintain a basic living wage. And I think um, a lot of these, a lot of these young politicians, they get it, and they're speaking to that because they've gone through that struggle. They're all burdened with uh, student loan debt. The country, of course, is burdened with student loan debt. I think 1.3 trillion dollars, or something like this, at this point, which was higher than the housing crisis of uh, 2008. Yep. So um, these are all, these are all. I think uh, again, the do nothing Democrats. Had they been doing something, maybe their power would not be. Uh, eroding like it is well i shouldn't say eroding but But, uh a dent dent in the armor yeah no you know what a lot of corporate democrats and a lot of the establishment they're really feeling scared and i think they should but on that note we do have to take a quick break don't go anywhere when we come back we're going to talk about the future of the democratic party and if it could really be a party for us young diverse progressives this is let your voice be heard look how i'm living now police be tripping now yeah this is america This is America. 
what a great song. I mean, yo, shout out to Childish Gambino. Like, that song is... That video. You know, it took me a really long time to figure out the Donald Glover and uh, Childish Gambino was the same person. Okay, Cardi B. You (laughs) and Cardi B had the same problem. Okay? Because Cardi B couldn't tell that they were the same person either. I'm going to go party with Cardi. Yes, literally. After she has a baby. After, yes. Hit me up, Cardi. Let's chill. I'm not sure that will ever happen. Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) But we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Shout out to our podcast listeners and shout out to all you guys on Facebook Live. We appreciate the love, the comments, and everything yeah the reaction we love the engagement so before we went off like before we went to break like we hurt you yeah no seriously <laughs> like we seriously appreciate you guys like this is a show for us the platform where we yeah. all let our voices be heard so before we went on break um we were talking about like like the fraction of the democratic party right and if it's finally shifting more to the left where are the needs of people like us would be represented now the question i have now for all you guys is is the left having a tea party moment. And the reason I'm asking that question is because back in circa 2008, 2009, the emergence and election of Barack Obama triggered a knee jerk response on the right and far right Republicans and conservative conservatives coalesced around extreme nationalistic views that were racist, anti-immigrant, xenophobic, etc. Now, and although a large population of these people have always existed in America, it was like they formed this successful coalition that managed to unseat moderate, like reasonably thinking Republicans and get their type of candidates elected. There were a number of Tea Party candidates that are working in Congress right now. So in comparison, Alyssa, would you say we're doing the same thing? I would say yes and no. I mean, look, there's a lot of similarities between what's going on right now on the left and what happened in 2010 during the Tea Party movement. But there are also a lot of lot of differences. And I actually like we were having this conversation through a group chat um, between me and Selena and Stanley and Jackie, who isn't here today. And we were sort of pointing out that, you know, there are similarities and differences. Like, for example, um, there was a big knee jerk reaction, as you pointed out, to Brock. Obama, that sort of kicked off the Tea Party moment. Uh, a lot of people on the right felt like um, the country was going too far left and too far in a different direction. There was also a fair amount of racism that came into play within it and xenophobia, as you also pointed out. Which, um, you know, and and it was this gut reaction, and it sort of culminated in. And the example I use is the uh, the Eric Cantor. Eric Cantor is literally Joe Crowley. Um, he got unseated by a guy named David Bratt. I made that point on Thursday. Uh, on was yeah the night, not Thursday night, the night that uh, Tuesday night when she won the election, when Ocasio-Cortez won the election, through a text message, and literally 10 minutes after that, the New York Times published an article using that exact example. Uh, um, like, so, yay for being... Did you tip off the time, I guess so. Yay for being on topic. Um, you know, and so that's very much what you're seeing, which is now you have the left, which is due to the election of Donald Trump. You have a lot of people on the left that are pushing back. You, you know, you, so you have this rising liberal movement um, I think the biggest difference is racism, the oh, interjection yeah. of racism. Um, I think there's a lot of, you know, economic anxieties both in both situations. I think that people really want something different in both situations. I think in both situations, people want to get rid of the establishment and get rid of people who have been in Congress for a long time in favor of somebody who is giving them a new platform and something fresh. Um, but I think that the biggest difference between the movement on the left you're seeing now and the movement you saw in 2010 in the right is the movement on the left does not have the interjection of racism in the way the movement 
movement on the right did. And, and you know, now that we are moving to the left, I, I kind of want to throw a devil's advocate type question out there because this push further left can actually have a disastrous effect for Democrats in the long run. Like, yeah. should Dems be concerned about going too far left? Could this lead to more extremism and more voter alienation? Like, a lot of folks in middle America, Ed, they don't relate. Like, they see immigration as an, as an issue, even though they're Democrat. What do you think? Uh, I, I think that they, they've, uh, they've been following the, the national narrative for too long. I think that any time that you can successfully get people wholeheartedly to agree that $15 for a McDonald's worker is too much, when you extrapolate that over the course of a year, it's probably, what, $30,000? And I think if we can all agree that $30,000, you're not balling out of control living in New York, living in any of the of the main cities. But I, I think that, uh, again, shaping the narrative. I think it's, I think it's very interesting that uh, it seems to me, and I, I haven't traveled to every 50, all the 50 states, but outside of uh, your traditional New York and California, everything else is, is sort of middle America. They, they're still, uh, these are still very... Uh, Nixon Republicans. This is still this is still this is obviously not the Democratic Party of Lincoln, but uh, it's uh, they're, they're holding very close to whatever this America first thing that, that that's happening. Um, I think, again, it, it's about austerity. It's about union busting. It's about sort of from the top down suppressing as much wages as you possibly can. And uh, unfortunately, it seems that some of the same people that that wanted to change that Barack they voted for Barack for they voted for Trump for that same change. You talking about drain the swamp and it's uh right. I mean, look, I do. Can we risk going too far left? Yeah, I, I look. It depends. It depends on where you are. Not every candidate is going to work for every single place. Somebody who can win here in New York 14 by running running on a very left platform may not be the same candidate that you want to run to potentially win back a seat in a place like Iowa. Maybe it is. I think for too long that Democrats have tread this middle ground, this centrist ground, um, when in reality, it's the progressive politics that wins. Medicaid for all is a winning policy. $15 wage for um, as a minimum wage when the living wage, if you account for McLean, should be $21 an hour is a winning policy. I think leftist policies do win. In the majority of places. And I think a lot of people have said the reason why Hillary Clinton did not win in 2016 is because she did not run far enough to the left. She did not show up in Michigan and talk about economic security. She did not show up in Minnesota. She did not show up in Pennsylvania. Trump spoke to those people. Um, And so a lot of people have said that that Bernie Sanders leftist platform works. And I think that they're right. And I think that we should run to the left. But I think there also is a limit where you don't want to go way, way, way too far from the left. I mean, you you don't want to get in a situation where you're now arguing that the government should take over the means of production for everything and we should do something like... Well, we're not talking about a totalitarian... No, know, we're not. Uh, we're not. But some people on the left are, and yeah. maybe that's a very, very small group. Right. Um, but you don't... I think it. we do not want to go that far, but I would disagree that this platform that Cortez, Ocasio-Cortez ran on is too far. I think this should be the mainstream platform for Democrats. I, I, I would say we should... It's, 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 a found, it's, a, it's a foundational piece. I think that we can... There's room for us to slide a little more to the left. Oh, so, okay, Radical. <laughs> Hold that thought, Ed. Um, we have another comment that I wanted to get to. So Albert says, what about funding for politicians and term limits? With Cortez winning, we kind of cut the term, term limit, uh, LOL. These politicians are into, are into it for their careers and, above all, legacies. They talk mm-hmm. a lot about that. Yeah, I, again, I would tend to agree, too, about career politicians and the fact that they're there 
to yeah, solidify their legacy and to get a paycheck. Well, let me just I just want to harp back on the point. I was talking about Yvette Clark and I mentioned this uh, because she she's not only been running my district for decades, but her mother ran the district uh, pretty much before she did. So it's just like obviously it wasn't passed on to her because you have to be voted in. But, yes, yeah, it's, it's this whole thing about uh, uh, political legacies and. Uh, and to be honest with you, she hasn't passed much legislation. Like she's voted, obviously, the correct way on health care and just like funding for public education. But outside of that, there hasn't been any, like any hardcore radical like upset, you know, and redistribution of any type of uh, state resources. OK, socialist, and, uh, and that's you know, what you want. But no, I'm just kidding with you, Ed. But no, I, I do. Before <laughs> I, I mean, yes, yes. At, at some point, it's just like we have to start looking at uh, making like transportation in this city as a service and not uh, sort of a profit line. You know, so we you all want use a candidate it. that says free public. MTA, absolutely. Okay. Well, um, you can pay for a tax Wall Street. Well, I, I mean, we... I agree with that. Free public. Okay, I've so we want free everything. advocated for, uh, you know, people use the term free. Nothing is free. It has to get paid for some way. The question is, who's going to pay for Wall it? Street. If you want, I mean, look, I wouldn't mind my taxes going up an additional $50 a month, but the, all the public transportation is free. That would be less than what I'm paying right now. It's the same thing when it comes to health care. When you break down what Medicare for all is and how it works and you say, look, your taxes are going to go up, but you're not going to be paying a premium anymore and you don't have to pay a deductible and your co-pays are going to go down. And people like the light bulb goes off and they go, oh, wait, you mean it's going to be cheaper even though my taxes are going to go up? Right. So we have to meet people where we are, but we have to explain how the policies actually work and we have to explain how it's going to get paid for yeah. all right guys so we do have to start to bring this conversation to a close but oh. based on the primary outcomes what do you think or what do you predict will happen during both the midterm election and in 2020 you have like about 30 seconds i think that there's going to be a blue wave coming but only if people are not complacent when i say not complacent that means you have to show up it means you have to show up for your candidates whether that's collecting petition signatures whether that's going out to vote you know <laughs> it also means you might have to register with the party so that you have a say in who that person is so that maybe it's not the establishment candidate that's running in the general because you've helped elect somebody more progressive during that primary election. There's so much that can be done, but it's not going to happen if people stay home. And you know what? That also is something that the Democratic Party needs to think about when the DCC, the DCCC decides who sure. they're going to back. And they need to think about whether or not they're going to start throwing money towards more young progressive people of color, queer people that want to get involved and run for politics because they can't keep backing the status quo. If they keep backing the status quo, they're going to keep losing. So there's a responsibility that both we have, we as individuals has, but also the Democratic Party as a whole has. Um, and if those two pieces lock into line together, I think we can win in 2018. I think we can beat Donald Trump into 2020, but it's not going to happen if people stay home. Absolutely. I, I think you've summed it up perfectly. I, I would just have to say that I, I do not know if if the uh, if, if uh, the Corteses will ever get to that national stage if we continue if the Democratic Party continues to back the And I, again, I have nothing against Bernie Sanders, but these 45 year incumbents who are still pushing the same agendas. And of course, I agree with many of what Bernie has to say. I agree with a lot of what uh, Elizabeth Warren. I would hope that uh, these two can form sort of coalesce uh, uh, or come to a. a uh, an agreement of some sort where they won't outdo each other. Maybe they'll come together. I think that they're the closest to something I'd like to see at a 2020 ticket. Quickly, what can we do? What should we all be doing to elect more diverse candidates to office? 
come 2020 and come come the, the end of this year. Support people. Support yeah. people with your money. If yeah. you don't have the money, support people with your time. If you have a good platform and you want to run, run on your own. And I hate to say it, obviously, as much as I want to have young, progressive people running for office, if it comes down to it and the person who's on the top of the ticket for the Democrat isn't necessarily the person you wanted there, but the alternative is the Republican, that's much worse, bite the bullet. And I know that's hard for some people to hear, and I know that's not what a lot of people want to do. But, you know, look, if uh, pe- if more people would have bit the bullet in certain situations, then we might not have been in the situation we're in now. So shut, uh, shut, shut, no, shut. I'm not calling anybody out specifically. I'm just saying, you know, politics is not a spectator sport. And sometimes yeah, you got to jump in. Sometimes you got to jump in. And sometimes that jumping in means you have to compromise. And, you know, I'm not saying compromise completely from your ideals. Um, but, you know, think about things strategically is all I'm getting at. Ed, quickly in 20 seconds. Uh, people got to vote. You got to go out, vote, vote with your uh, go vote with your feet. Um, yeah. You know, show up, volunteer. Uh, do not do not believe the mainstream hype. Um, re- really, uh, people need to be going out to these civic engagements, whether it's your town hall, your local town halls. Get involved on a very local level, like your community district leader. This is who these are the people who who get your vote who gets your judges on so you're not doing 20 years for marijuana. These are the people that vote in and swear in these judges. So you need to be on your local much, 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 much more engaged, civically engaged. Absolutely. And I just want to end with this, guys. So Alexandria represents a new wave in progressive politics. And for many of us, she gave us hope, not just for the Democratic Party, but for the nation. She's inspiring and she proves that we can take back our nation. We can make it fair just and welcoming to all and that's the principle of america that's what we say we supposed to stand for and with people like her and with people like ed Alyssa, and you guys watching we can actually make the changes that need to be done and besides alexandria there's a lot going on across the nation i wanted to mention the race in massachusetts the seventh district where we have ayana presley she is a 44 year old official who became the first black woman to serve on the boston city council she is challenging Rep. Michael um, Capion, who is a 66-year-old 10-term incumbent. Again, she has a chance to take him down. The Democratic Party is no longer a party just for old white guys. It's our party. And if we get involved, if we vote, if we canvass, if we campaign, then we can definitely take it back. On that note, I want to say thank you to everyone who listened, everyone who left comments via Facebook Live. We appreciate you guys and continue to support Let Your Voice Be Heard on our Patreon account. That's B, that's patreon.com slash beheardradio. If you leave a donation, you can support us and we'll continue to support the issues that matter to you.